Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. I want you to turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 15. The book of Genesis chapter 15. We're going to read through uh, the first 17 and a half verses, all the way through the first half of verse 18 of Genesis uh, chapter 15. Now, I want you to listen to something that, that I would really like. It's not going to be on the screen. Maybe we'll put it on the screen later during this whole series of revival services. And by the way, from now all the way through the end of April, every Sunday is a revival service. The revival services are not just next Sunday through Wednesday. The revival services are already ongoing. And I want you to be thinking in that mode. And in conjunction with thinking in with that frame of mind, I want you to get this, because a lot of people ask the question, what is revival? I mean, I hear people talking about it. What in the world is that? If you were like me growing up, revival meant uh, a, a series of services that started on Sunday and ended the next Sunday, or started on Sunday and ended Wednesday or ended Friday where you bring in somebody to preach. And, and those are revival services, but usually they don't, they, they're not revival in and of themselves. They're part of a long-range plan of revival. What is revival? So here's what I want you to get. This is, a, uh, this is my definition for revival. You can adopt your own, but, but here's my definition for revival. Revival is the visible, you see it, the visible and powerful moving of God. Now just digest that for a moment. Revival is the visible and powerful moving of God on a specific, on and in a specific group of people, that'd be you and me, in a particular place here, over an indefinite period of time. You cannot put a date on it because you never know how long it's going to last. You hope it's going to last longer than shorter, but you never know exactly how long it's going to last. Revival is the visible and powerful moving of God on and in a specific group of people in a particular place for an indefinite indefinite period of time. And here's the last part of it changing the lives of those people. I believe that it is impossible to experience true revival and come out of it on the other side the same as you were when you went into it on the front side. Absolutely impossible. If I come out of whatever we call revival, if I come out of it on the back side and I'm the same as I was going in, one thing is for sure that I can say, and it's this, I didn't have revival. Because true revival will change your life. Or in true revival, God will change your life. He'll change something about your life. So I want you to be thinking about that definition. Revival, the visible and powerful moving of God in and on a specific group of people in a particular place over an indefinite period of time, changing the lives of those people. Now, with that in mind, I want to take you to a text, to a story, where, where a man began experiencing revival. 
and there's a lot about what happened with him that is going to be true with you and me as revival begins, as fire starts igniting over the next several weeks. Genesis chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man, that is Eleazar, will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then the Lord said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and God credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? How can I know that? Verse 9, so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon, so five animals. Abram brought all these to the Lord, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. In other words, they were, they were, the, the, the carcasses were cut in half and they were laid symmetrically across from each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away as the sun was setting. Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And then verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, that you'll never have to wonder. You'll never have to wonder, or we should never have to wonder, whether or not God wants to pour revival into you. Just settle this right away. God wants to pour revival in you. There's not a question. It's, it's going to be up to whether or not we want it, whether or not we will pay the price to be available for it, and whether or not we really desire the results of revival. Sometimes just thinking about the results of revival and what all revival will cost us in commitment and sacrifice sometimes is, is more than we want to pay. Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to sacrifice at whatever cost it is that God calls you to do in order for revival to come.
Here is Abram. It's before his name is changed by God from Abram to Abraham. Here is Abram. He is, um, he, he, he is someone God loves, someone God has chosen, someone that God wants to pour himself into. And God approaches him here in Genesis chapter 15. And there are three things from this passage that I want you and me to I want you to grasp hold of these three things. Please grasp hold of them. Write them down if you need to. But I want you to get these so that when you leave here, you will have them down pat. Because these are three truths that were true of Abraham and they're true for you right now, today. Are you ready for this? Number one, God wants to do a work in your life that is humanly impossible. That is a true statement. God wants to do something in your life. Over the course of these next few weeks, God wants to do something in the life of every person in this room and who will be in this room today. He wants to do something humanly impossible in your life. Now, what was it that that God wanted to do in, in Abram's life that was humanly impossible? Well, the Bible says that God told Abram and through Abram to Sarah that he wanted to give them a child that would come through the normal, natural processes of uh, intimate relations and, and child conception and childbirth. But it was humanly impossible for this to occur. Why is that? Because at the time God speaks to Abram in Genesis 15, Abram and Sarah, are, they're in their age of mid to upper 80s. Now, just in case you have doubts about this, sometime today, before you leave the church, find somebody that you are fairly certain is in their mid to upper 80s. And just go ask them two questions. Number one, do you want a child? (laughs) And then ask them, number two, do you think you could have a child? And after you get yourself up off the floor because they have punched you out, remember the answer they gave you. It's humanly impossible for someone of that age to have a child, for a couple of that age to have children. It is humanly impossible. And yet God says, that is exactly what I want to do in Abram's life. Now, What is true for Abraham is also true for you. God wants to do something humanly impossible. Now, before you check out on me here as being crazy, a crazy man, let me tell you that what God wants to do in your life that's humanly possible is not to cause you to have a child when you are humanly incapable of doing so. That's that's not it. That's not it. But listen, folks. There are things that need to occur in your life, in your life, and you, some of you know what it is that needs to occur in your life, and you've tried to make them occur. You've tried to fix some things. You've tried to get better at certain things, and you have come to the conclusion, despondently, that it's impossible for you to make it happen. And you know what? There are things that God wants to do in your life that are just as humanly impossible as making an 80-year-old couple have a child. Some of you need a whole life turnaround. 
and, and you've tried to manufacture it. You've tried to read all the popular self-help Christian books that give you all the spiritual ways to do it. Step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. And if you do all these five steps, God is going to revolutionize your life. And you've done all step one through five. And he hasn't revolutionized anything. And so you realize that what, God, what you know needs to happen in your life is humanly impossible. God wants to do something in you that is humanly impossible. In order for it to occur, God has to do it. First and foremost, that's the only way he really gets the most glory. When God does something in us that we could not manufacture and, and all of our friends combined helping us could not manufacture, then the only person we can credit when it does occur, is God. He gets all the glory, which is the way it ought to be. We are created to give glory to Him. That was the main purpose for which you and I were created. It's not the only purpose, but it is the main purpose. God wants to do something humanly impossible in you. Now, secondly, there is a problem. And that brings up the second truth, and that is this. There are enemies at work whose sole purpose is to thwart... God's work in you. God wants to do a work in you that is humanly impossible. But there are enemies at work to keep that from happening in you. And if you and I are not careful, we will actually allow those enemies to win over this whole process and rob us of what God wants to do. Now, there are a lot of enemies we could talk about. We don't have time to talk about all of them. Let me just talk about a couple and these, these couple of enemies were in Abram's life. First of all, let me just highlight the worst enemy you have. Are you ready for this? Does anybody here have a mirror? Do you have a mirror? If you have one, just take it out and look in it. There it is. You see, my worst enemy is me. My worst enemy is me, and here's why. Because there is always the temptation in my life, I fight it every day, the temptation to accept an alternative to what God wants to do in me. And the reason I'm so eager to accept the alternative is because the alternative makes more logical and practical sense. It seems more possible. In other words, I'm constantly tempted to substitute in place of God's work that is humanly impossible, something that I can see as humanly pragmatic and possible. And Abram did the same thing. So God was promising Abram, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give that son to you and Sarah through the normal processes, even though you're in your 80s. In fact, they would be a lot older than that before that boy finally came along. And what does Abram do? Abram says, you know, I've been looking over my servants over here, and there's a guy named Eleazar. He's from Damascus. Lord, you know him. And I, although he's one of my servants, he's not my, biologically related to me. I trust this guy. I trust him with my life. And, and, and I'm willing, I'm willing to allow him to be this son of promise that you have promised me. You see, Abram was willing to take on a common practice in that day for infertile couples. And that was, they would look at their servants and they would agree to adopt that servant. That servant would look after this couple in their old age, take care of them when they were convalescent. And when that couple died, the servant would be the heir 
of the estate of that couple, and that servant would carry on the name of that couple. That was a common practice. Abram was was perfectly familiar with that practice. And when God told him, I'm going to give you a son, Abram started saying, well, that's humanly impossible. And so I'm going to try to find something humanly impossible to substitute. You see, Abram was becoming his own worst enemy. God says to him, he said, Eleazar is not going to be this son I'm talking about. This son I'm talking about will come from your own flesh and blood, will come from your own loins, will will, will be born through the normal processes of sexual intimacy, of child conception and childbirth, Abram. And when it occurs, when he is born, you will know that it had to be God's work. But Abram's worst enemy was himself because he was constantly wanting to substitute what is humanly possible for what God wanted, which was humanly impossible. Listen to this. Don't settle. Don't settle for less than what God wants to do in your life over this next season of revival. Don't Settle. It'll cost you more. This would not be the only time Abram would try to come up with a a humanly possible substitute in the very next chapter. He's already given up on Eleazar, but he's thinking and he's talking with Sarah and they're trying to come up with a humanly possible way for God's promise to be fulfilled. And Sarah says, you know, we've got this young teenage servant girl named Hagar. Why don't you take her in as your secondary wife and go in and have relations with her? Let her bear us a child. Again, this was not God's plan. This was a substitute And substitutes are always inferior to what God wants to do. Any substitute that you and I would would want to place in place of or put in place of what God wants to do is an inferior one. And so Abram said, that's a good idea. And he brought Hagar in and he had relations with her. Uh, He took her to be his secondary wife, had relations with her. She had a child and... He and Sarah think, well, this is it. And God said, that's not it. And by the way, that particular substitute had and still has tragic implications. God said, he's not the one. I'll bless him and I will make him a great father of a great nation. But he said, he's not the one. I told you, Abram, what I'm going to do in you is humanly impossible. Don't substitute any alternative, no matter how good it may look, for what God wants to do in you. So your worst enemy is yourself. Second, as Abram was there, God told him to take five animals. Three of them were uh, a, a heifer, a goat, a ram. He is to slaughter those animals, cut them in half, and, and flay them so that they, the cut in half, they, they were, their bodies were laying symmetrically. Now, this is a repulsive and violent thing for us to think about. It's so foreign to us. But this was common in, in Abram's day. So he takes these three large animals, kills them, cuts them in half, lays them symmetrically, and then he kills uh, two birds, and he doesn't cut them in half. He just lays them down on the ground. And as Abram is there waiting, he, God told him to do this. And I'm sure he's thinking, I don't know what this is all about. But here I am. I've done what God has said for me to do. I'm waiting on God to do something. And birds of prey came and tried to eat the carcasses. 
And Abram was constantly having to watch to shoo them away. You see, your worst enemy is yourself, but you are not your own enemy. You're not the only enemy that you will face. There are outside forces that will try to come in unawares and rob you of what God wants to do in your life. And you will have to be watchful. This is the reason Jesus said, watch and pray that you not enter into temptation. He says, watch and pray that you can shoo away those distractions and those enemies that try to rob you of what God wants to do in your life. So there are enemies whose sole purpose is to thwart God's work in you. Don't let them. Do not let them. Be determined to accept nothing less than what God wants to do in your life during this season of revival. Now, the third truth, very important truth that we need to get is this. God has made an unusual commitment to accomplish His work in you. He has made an unusual commitment to accomplish His work in you. Now, pay attention to this. This idea of cutting these animals in half and flaying them symmetrically on each side of a path and walking through it, that was a common practice where you had two groups of people or two people or two nations Let's say two, two people who are making an agreement with each other, a covenant, a contract of some sort. In order to solidify that contract, you would, you would kill these animals, divide them into and lay them symmetrically on each side of a path. And then, in order to solidify the contract, each party would walk through the middle of the animals, of the animal carcasses on each side. And by walking through the middle of those carcasses, what the two parties were saying is, I have made an agreement with you, I have made a contract with you, and if there ever comes a time that I go back on my part of the deal and I violate it, may I end up just like these animals, killed and cut in two. That's what the whole thing was about. That's what it symbolized. I am that serious about the commitment to this agreement. Now, when you had two parties who were of equal status, they would both walk through the thing. I'll walk first, and then you walk, or you walk first, then I'll walk, because they're equal status, they're equal in this partnership. But sometimes you had what was called a suzerainty, a suzerain agreement, where you had a suzerain, which was someone who was of higher authority, and then you had a vassal person, a person of lesser status, and you had an agreement between an inferior and a superior party. When you had that kind of agreement, you'd still flay the animals in half, but guess who walks through the middle of them? Not the superior, the inferior. The inferior person would. Never the superior. But look what happens here. God tells Abraham, kill these these five animals, two of them the birds, you you don't divide. The other other three you divide and you lay them symmetrically and there's a path here. And who, the next thing, if you know anything about this ritual and this contract, uh, solidifying this contract, the next thing you would expect is for Abraham to be called upon to walk through those animals. Abram never walks through them. 
Never. Who does? The Bible says that, that there was a, a fire pot and a smoking lantern. Now, you know what fire is, especially in the Old Testament, but throughout the Bible? It's a, it's a symbol of the presence of God. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness, how did they know God was with them? Because there was fire on the mountain. How did they know God was with them? Because during the day there was smoke over the tabernacle, and during the night there was fire. What did that mean? It meant God was with them. Here the Bible says that in between these, these divided carcasses of these dead animals, where you'd expect Abraham to walk through because he's the inferior party, instead of Abram, God, through the presence of this blazing fire pot, walks through the middle of the animals. This is unheard of. This is not what is supposed to happen. But it is what happened. It is what happens. What does this mean? It means this is very unusual. It's unusual for the superior party, the suzerain party, to be the one walking through the animals. But that's what happens. God walks through the animals. And what it tells us is God has made an unusual commitment to your success in experiencing the God stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, it is amazing how little Abram had to do here. Yeah, he had to slay these animals and cut them open. Anybody can do that. But the real work that was to be done was by God, not Abram. Abram simply had to be available to God. Really, what you and I have to do during this season of, of, of hopeful revival is to be available to God, available and willing for Him to be able to do things that we could not bring about or manufacture or manipulate on our own. God wants to do it in you. God wants to do a work in you. There are enemies. You are enemy number one. Because you, wanna, you want to allow for substitutes that are inferior to God's work. But, but the thing you need to remember is this. God is invested in you. You may think you're nothing. You may think nobody knows me. Certainly God doesn't know me. God knows you better than you know you. And he is interested in you. And he is invested in you. And he has made an unusual commitment. He has been willing to make a commitment that ideally you and I should have made, but he has made it to us. He's the one walking through the animals. He's the one who gave his son to die for us when we should have been the ones to die on the cross. He has made, and he only has made, the unusual commitment of bringing the God stuff to you. Oh, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for this? He has singled you out for greatness. We're about to have an invitation. Revival is igniting. God is dealing with you.
and me. For some of you, the Lord wants to save you. He wants to come into your heart for the very first time and be your Savior and your Lord. And you can make that decision to invite Him into your life today, right here, this morning, in this altar, this, this front area that is devoted to prayer. When we get up to sing, if that's you and you need to have Jesus in your life, you need to be saved, move out from where you are and come here. We'll have, we'll have people here who can help you if you need it to invite Jesus into your life. It'll be the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And that is where revival must begin. If Jesus is not in your heart, revival can't possibly begin. There's no fluid there. But how many of us have been Christians for a long time? How many of us know the Lord? There's no question about our salvation. But how many of us who know the Lord have grown as cold as a New York December or January? And we are so desperate for the heating, healing touch of God. And God is speaking to you. God wants to do something in you. Are you open to it? Beginning today. Let's pray. Our Father, I believe that we believe that you are up to something in this place, among this people, that you want to continue for some time. Lord, I believe you want to save someone here this morning. I believe that you want someone who's not a member of this church to join the church this morning. I believe that there are people who you have been working with uh, for some time, others that you've just started working with this morning. There's something you want to do. Some of us know what it is. Some of us are trying to find out what it is. But Lord, we know that you're up to something and we want to participate with you, not fight against you. And... In this service, in this invitation, decisions need to be made. Commitments need to be made or renewed. This altar needs to be utilized where you are dealing with people. God, I pray that you'd bubble us up with the God stuff. Lord, let revival begin. Let the fire start. Let it grow, but let it start in us right now. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.